Hello, how you doing? Hey, good afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for um, agreeing to meet with me. This is a treat. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, we uh, hang out in the same Twitter neighborhood, and mm -hmm. um, but this is our first time really connecting. <laughs> and um, I like the way you put that Twitter neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. We, we are we're, we're digital citizens hanging out on, on that side of town <laughs> digitally acquainted <laughs> but, uh, more and more every day so who are you that's that's my 30 second elevator pitch is so challenging when people ask me to introduce myself uh yeah so my name is morgan godwin i'm born and raised in portland oregon i currently find myself back home um again after some time away Mm. And I am a writer, editor, harm reductionist, and drug policy advocate, I suppose, is how we're going to compress it today. I dig it. <laughs> well, what, what got you into that space? Oh, heroin. If we if we trace it back, uh it would be uh heroin. Right on. So yeah. do you do you identify as, as as a person in recovery or as a person who's I do. A, okay, right? I yeah, identify as a person in long-term recovery. You know, what that means for me is is personal. I don't subscribe to some of the the labels that come out of the recovery scene it's just um you know when i go and i speak as a formerly incarcerated person nobody asks me details on what that means to me <laughs> they're just like oh yeah that's who you are and then i'm like oh i'm in a person in recovery and they're like but what kind but what type and i'm yeah. like well hey <laughs> yeah that question sucks uh, uh, are you sober what kind of sober and mm -hmm. and i got to write a a, a lovely blog on that after Demi Lovato came out about Cali sober and, yeah. and it really inspired me. But what I ask folks is um, not so much uh, the um, the details around what you put in you or what you know what you put on you. It's more like kind of um, overall. I mean, what what does recovery mean to you? What does overcoming this relationship with with substances or I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, what, that's exactly what, right. What, what does it mean to you? It means that I have seen the depths of hell <laughs> and that I no longer exist there in that space. That's what recovery means to me. Uh, heroin addiction compounded by criminal justice involvement uh, really decimated my life. Uh, addiction itself is, is misery. Mm. And I was able to overcome that and redefine a purpose for my life. And really just redefine who I was as a person, because for so long, I had to lean into the label of being a junkie. That was the word I used against my own self, because I'm getting all these signals from society, like, you're a dirtbag junkie. And I was like, well, I, uh, after a time, I just resigned myself to it. I couldn't fight against it anymore. So I just leaned in. Yeah. Which is a really dangerous thing that we do to people is push them towards leaning into these harmful identities um, as a defense mechanism to avoid further rejection. I, and so that took a lot of undoing and a lot of unlearning. But here I am today, seven years in recovery. That's all right. I, I really dig how you put that. Your, your explanation of internalized stigma is being bombarded with these negative stereotypes and leaning into it. And uh, I can visualize that. That's some... Um, 
and it and, and that's being you know a crime against people you're describing your chaotic relationship with substances but folding in this criminal justice entanglement has part of that chaos and part of that trauma brilliant um you're describing recovery as um not being there anymore not, not being in hell anymore <laughs> uh, and kind of uh, figuring out who you are and what your purpose is i love yeah. it yeah. it's a it's been a it's been a journey you know because for the first four years or so of my recovery i was incarcerated and so i didn't know what my hobbies were I didn't know what it, sure, I'd learned to live without heroin, but only in that one particularly very artificial context, this very sterile environment, prison. Uh, what did that mean for me in the, in the free world? And so I've had like two distinct phases of my recovery. Indeed, indeed, almost, almost balanced out to equal time. You, you were actually incarcerated a bit longer than you've been out in recovery. Mm -hmm. Wow. I count it. A journey. Yeah, it's been wild. I uh, I still struggle with parts of it. Like I'm dreading the part, the inevitable question. So what do you do for fun? <laughs> oh, that's down the road. <laughs> oh, yeah, because uh, it's, uh, it's been a journey for me to figure out what my hobbies are, because I used to be such a heroin connoisseur, right? I started doing drugs for fun when I was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I was incarcerated until I was 29. Wow. How do you learn for the first time in your life what you like to do when you are 29 years old? Indeed. Indeed. How do you? I, I, uh, one of the things I really dig that, that came out of uh, a number of people's work, but Maya Solovitz did such a great job of helping to spread it out to the world is this disordered learning concept of substance use, you know, and I also started using drugs at a very young age and found sustained recovery at, you know, 37. So uh, who am I? <laughs> right. It's, it's some people don't talk about much as the identity crisis, both of incarceration and and of recovery because when so much of your behavior or your daily life has been dictated to you either by prison or your drug of choice for so long and then suddenly you take that away mm. what do you replace it with what comes next what indeed yeah and i, I really do think that the systems of, of intervention care support whatever uh, ought to have that first and foremost on their mind uh and that's not always the case and uh take away the drugs mm -hmm. it goes in its place yeah i remember my pediatrician uh no let me back up a little bit <laughs> I, I tried to hang myself when i was real young okay i didn't tell anyone i was about 12 maybe 11. Mm -hmm. um it's serious mental health issues, right? Serious. Long before I ever did drugs. Incredibly suicidal. To this day, if, if, if suicidality is a spectrum, I never get below about a four, okay? And this is something I will struggle with for the rest of my life. When I was 11 or 12, it was just mental health. But by the time I was 16, I was doing a lot of cocaine. And then I would go in to see my pediatrician and talk about my cocaine use. And then all of a sudden, my problem, my sole problem was the cocaine. And that's what needed to stop was the cocaine use. That was the problem. That was the problem that was causing all the other problems in my life. 
you know, and I didn't have the words to articulate it when I was 16 years old, but there's something wrong there. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And that is something that has been uh, a hallmark of our uh, treatment system in the United States for decades is this, this myopic focus on the substance use, take out the substance use, but we have a greater understanding now of the role trauma play and inequity and co-occurring mental disorders. We have a growing understanding whether we see it in practice, uh, we'll see. Um, man, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and you're describing you know, suicidality on a spectrum of, and, and it, it continues to be presence, I, uh, present, I, I can relate to that but i had never heard anyone describe it you've just given me some words i appreciate that i mean i made that up i, I think psychiatrists might disagree with me so maybe don't go repeating that but it works for me <laughs> i really don't care yeah it, it resonates with me as well that's solid and uh okay so what um you got heavily more heavily on my radar after after um Maya's uh, op-ed about um, decrim in, in Oregon and, and, and our failed and, and just racist war on drugs and what now? And uh, that got me digging a little more into, into your story. And um, uh, that, that's how we met. <laughs> but what do you do? Tell me what you're up to now. Uh, so oh. I do, I have a day job. Uh, my full-time job, which I enjoy very much. I'm the engagement editor over uh, the American Prison Newspapers Archive. So it's a bunch of digitized newspapers from the 1800s through now produced by and for incarcerated people. And then my job is to like find cool stories in there and get them written about or write about them myself. And it's, I'm becoming something of a prison historian and I'm reading a lot about shifts in politics and how politics has influenced criminal law, hence the war on drugs. And so I spend a lot of my day reading and writing about that. I also serve on policy commissions in the state. So the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission was my first appointment. And then when Oregon decriminalized drugs through Measure 110, uh, which passed, by the will of Oregon voters, it created this other thing called the Measure 110 Oversight and Accountability Council, and we're tasked with implementing the most historic drug policy shift to, to ever occur on U.S. soil. Um, and so I'm one of 21 Oregonians. Yesterday I heard 22. They put some non-voting members in there. I, I, I kind of lost count. They've modified it. <laughs> um, so I do that, and then I'm also involved uh, with the county local public safety coordinating council uh, that serves with law enforcement, county commissioners, city councilors. Right. So essentially, I see the world through, I can tell you what I went to prison for, and you'll see exactly how I see the world. I went to prison for my best friend's accidental overdose. So pretty much right there is how I see the world. The intersection of criminal justice and substance use with a focus on overdose prevention. And that about sums me up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read, I read that, uh, in your own words, that history and, um, it was, uh, tragic in the way you put it now, how it has driven, uh, your lens on the world and your purpose in, in, in advocacy, uh, 
that's powerful stuff. I'm really digging the prison archive, uh, uh, the incarcerated archive uh, newspapers. That's that's splendid. They're so cool. You can I can just be transported to like a prison in 1918 Wyoming, or you know 1898 Connecticut, and I'm just like reading about what life was like uh, and the issues, and sometimes how much life has changed, and then other times how much it hasn't. Oh. God, that's heavy. <laughs> well, cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out uh, yeah. for sure. Um, publish some some stories there. We're getting directly impacted writers or writers really close to mass incarceration to sort of recount um, it in their own words. So yeah, check out the archive or check out some of the stories we published on JSTOR Daily. Um, I really love the work I do there. Policy is much harder. Mm -hmm. I will say <laughs> the policy stuff is, is challenging. It's uh, it can feel like drudgery at times uh, because the, the wheels of government and the wheels of justice turn slowly. Um, and then I'm also doing that harm reduction program beats overdose for, for the music and inter entertainment industry. So hip hop and health. I want to hear about that. That is so much fun. If I could just yeah. <laughs> focus on that. Here's what here here's what I really enjoy doing: reading and writing, JSTOR daily check, and then hip hop and health. <laughs> These are the things that nourish me. <laughs> it's what you do for kicks, and yeah. so you know you're you're uh, getting your kicks with it is benefiting the lives of others too. So yeah, yeah, tell me all about it. Well, you know, I'm. It starts with me just being a fan girl. Really, I'm full of these atmosphere tattoos. Well the the record label rhyme setters entertainment i have what one two three tattoos um i was a pizza delivery driver during my addiction this is really important to contextualize okay because it meant i had to go to work that day or i couldn't buy heroin that day and i was going to be sick but if i went to work i would make at least twenty dollars in tips so i didn't need to go commit other crime i just needed to go to work mm. and so i did so I always held down a job doing pizza delivery, but that meant most of my days were spent alone in my car with nothing but nothing but me and the music. And so these lyrics, poetry in between beats of, of this, especially the record label Rhyme Sayers was, you know, constant on repeat in my car. And it, it made me feel human connection at a time where I was so bitterly lonely. Mm -hmm. uh, constantly thinking about suicide we've mentioned that before mm -hmm. specifically you know atmosphere was my favorite rapper I would go to all the concerts I remember this one time my mom bought me a ticket to the rhyme Sayers concert here downtown and I had it in my hand she gave me the paper ticket I'm incredibly addicted to heroin right uh, not a doubt and I don't have two pennies to rub together I don't know how I'm gonna get dope tomorrow you know, I went to work this morning, so I had enough for today, but what about tomorrow? It's my day off. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have this atmosphere ticket and I go to walk into the concert and there's scalpers outside saying $80. I'll give you $80 for your ticket. That's a gram of heroin. That's a full gram of heroin. And I have this ticket in my hand and I see atmosphere up on the, the marquee there. And I'm looking at the scalper and I'm thinking this could be a gram of heroin. And before I, I let myself go too far down that pathway, I walked in. I handed the I handed the ticket to the gate and I got into the concert. And I remember thinking on my way out, just loving the live music, just the, the vibe. And it was just so good for my soul. I thought this is so much better than heroin. Why do I do heroin? But then of course I would always 
end up doing heroin again. Um, and that rapper atmosphere partnered with me to create Beats Overdose, which is the first of its kind project in the country. And I still don't exactly know how that happened. <laughs> God, I've got goosebumps over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from fangirl to um, collaborating side by side to, to save lives. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Feels pretty good. Yeah. Now I feel kind of weird because I've got all these atmosphere tattoos and like I actually talk to Slug sometimes and it's like, okay, now I just feel creepy because I have like, song lyrics tattooed on my body it doesn't it doesn't feel appropriate anymore. everything's cool man i swear <laughs> I'll, say, I'll be cool i'll be cool i'm not i'm not gonna make it weird i'm not making it weird don't make it weird i'm not making it weird <laughs> that's awesome well tell me tell me tell me more uh in application beats overdose I, you directed me to an instagram post i'm following now and, and it was a it was around alcohol and 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 uh designated drivers and let's give it a listen Hey, my name is Slug and I'm in a band called Atmosphere. And I've got a question. How much do you know about harm reduction? Harm reduction is a way of reducing the harm from drugs and alcohol. Like the designated driver reduces some of the danger. If you're gonna drink, don't drive. Harm reduction seeks to do similar for other drugs too. Harm reduction acknowledges that drug use happens. It makes no judgment nor endorsement of it. It just is. Let's make what just is less harmful. In 2021, more people died of fatal drug overdoses than ever before. Oxys, Percocet, and Xanax often contain fentanyl, and sometimes cocaine does too. That means a lot of recreational users also experienced fatal drug overdoses. Beats Overdose began when Morgan G reached out to us. She had the idea of merging harm reduction with hip-hop, recognizing the fact that we've lost fans, friends, and artists alike. Beats Overdose was present at 15 dates on our tour last summer, and in total, they gave out more than 1,000 doses of naloxone, 500 fentanyl test strips, and reversed multiple overdoses during and after the shows. We're continuing our support of Beats Overdose and their mission. People are going to keep trying to numb the pain, but it doesn't have to mean the end. No one's coming to save us. We're going to have to take care of each other. If you're going to be at our show on February... Yeah, I, uh, I thought that giving people who might not be familiar with harm reduction an example of the a way that they've practiced it in their life which is the designated driver you know drink don't drive might have make them be a little more empathetic to it as it applies to other drugs as well and so that's why um i had him use that analogy as i've seen that be pretty effective because people everybody understands alcohol as if it wasn't also a drug <laughs> you know i'm very double standard so i like to use it as a comparison tool yeah. um and then he just used that as an analogy to to sort of lead into this is harm reduction and here's how harm reduction can work for other drugs too and our our people are dying our our, our fans our friends our family artists People are dying and no one is coming to save us. So we're here to save ourselves. We're here to save each other, create community. I love it. And so, yeah, last, last summer's tour, I covered 15 of the 17 events. The other two denied me entrance because of what we were doing, which was just passing out Narcan, giving overdose prevention information, training, teaching people that the pills they're buying as Perk said, 
Xans, Oxys are most likely counterfeit. Yeah. Uh, fentanyl test strips, if they wanted to test those, those pills, especially, uh, yeah. you can just presume that fentanyl's in everything else, but it's those pills where some people still think they're getting legit drugs and it's fentanyl. Yeah. And so really trying to spread that message, but not in a heavy handed way. I'm not a health fair. I'm trying to stay hip. And so just be like, you know, it's cool if you're getting high. I just don't want you to die. Like, or uh, I was like trying to think of a rhyme. I, I suck at this. I should leave this to the rappers. But it's like, these pills ain't the same as your grannies. There's fentanyl in your perks and zannies. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll leave it to the rappers, actually. I'm not even going to go there. But, no, but trying cool. to, because uh, rap music has talked about drugies for a long time. It's been much to the to the ire of white America through the 80s and, and 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, they were on the bleeding edge of, of normalizing cannabis, uh, talking about mass incarceration, our racist institutions. And so hip hop is very primed to be on the bleeding edge of, of harm reduction. Indeed. They're already talking about drugs. Half step further, you talk about safer drug use. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, you know, I, I was an 80s guy and uh, talking about safe sex as we were fighting HIV uh, epidemic and, and rappers uh, already were talking about sex. And now they're talking about Jimmy hats too. <laughs> it's exactly. exactly. It's exactly that. Yeah. Um, and I know it's a little weird that like the white Portlander is the one trying to kind of spur it, but Hey, it's, it's how it happened. And people are, I'm, I would love it if, if people across the country would just start copying what I'm doing. I, I'm not holding on to anything. I just, I want people to see how it can be done. And then, and just see it go spread like wildfire through the through the culture through the country indeed oh that's awesome thanks thanks for sharing that um so you already talked about what you do for kicks and then it, it is around reading old newspapers <laughs> and listening to great music and and spreading the harm reduction love and, and um, I travel to it travel I do. I travel extensively, a little probably more than I should sometimes. <laughs> uh, COVID slowed that down. It slowed it down for me. Yeah. I travel more. I lived in Mexico for most of COVID. And so that was like my response to not being able to travel was to just go live in another country. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mexico. Yes, yeah, sure. other languages. I, w- I wish I just had, I wish I had a hobby I could pick up and do after I get off work. I don't so much have that. Yeah. You know, because it's like, oh, travel. Okay, but I can't just like do that after I get off work. So what am I actually doing? Oh, I don't want to read and write. I've been doing that all day. So yeah. I'm working on figuring that out. Figure it out. Yeah. For now, I'm 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 binging uh, Netflix. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's come down to. Apple TV though. Apple TV is a business. <laughs> like, I gotta say. So the the op-ed. Um, uh that i read was was uh was about hey you know war on drugs is failing maybe oregon's got it right and uh that that uh there was resistance in the twitter threads about it and it just what what's going on i mean that's not really a question but do you want to talk about um decriminalization for a moment you know any any policy change produces reactionary backlash and so then they find any problem that's going on at the same time and says well that must be because of that and so portland's homelessness which has been growing for years but it really exploded in the last five six years 
people are like pointing to measure 110, which all it did was change. If you have a gram of heroin or less, which was previously a misdemeanor, it is now a citation like a traffic ticket. Yeah. That's all. That's, That's it. all it did. They're like blaming our entire homelessness crisis on it, yeah. which is so absurd to the point where I, I, I struggle to even engage with it sometimes because it's yeah. like, that is so obviously and plainly false. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there will, yeah, there will always be opposition, especially with the war on drugs. We were fed this rhetoric propaganda for the last 40 years. <laughs> that drugs must be criminalized or society will fall apart. M myriad social problems we had, we ignored the underlying structural determinants of these social problems and just said, oh, it's the crack. Oh, it's this. And then we just cracked down on the crack, but then, oh my God, there's so social problems. Why is that? Well, because it was never actually the drug. Drugs are symptoms of the problem, right? But people are terrified. They're, they're terrified of the unknown we've been told for so long, we must do this. And so when we start to do it differently, people panic and start looking for thing, you know, problems or, or things to blame it on. And it, it just, it breaks my heart sometimes because I watched me and all my friends be churned through the criminal justice system, you know, not just racist, but classist. We were, we were just mostly white kids, but impoverished. And that's all it took for us to get held at gunpoint over and over and over and over by the cops, tossed in jail, made to become homeless, given felony convictions, couldn't get a job, couldn't get an apartment, you know, friends living in tents for years. And then I see people on Twitter like, oh, because you decriminalized, that's why you have homeless people. And it's just so ridiculously offensive to everything that I witnessed and lived, that it hurts my soul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I chose not to engage with, with the, the nay uh, folk on, on that thread. Uh, I saw folks trying to, to meet them where they are with logic and everything, but uh, they're, oh, they're irrational folk. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's no amount of logic you can bring to that argument because it's not founded on logic or facts it's founded on emotions so you you can't win you, can't you just win. gotta ignore it yeah because we're moving forward progress is happening it's done we so already did it. yeah you did it we did it it's done actually we won this fight so y'all can squabble and <laughs> i wish you would come to the conversation and we could we could talk about the way the way forward how you want to see the future how you want to help heal because yeah. the harm has stopped. We're not arresting people anymore. Healing is going to take longer. And there's many different schools of thought on how we should approach it. And I'm welcome to all opinions on that. But they don't uh, They don't want to have that conversation. Man, that's the real work, you know? Come get <laughs> you. Come. No, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Drugs are bad, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and there I am giving dozens of hours of my life a month to this uh, council to, to try to carve this path forward towards healing and then i get armchair experts coming for me on twitter like oh, man it must be so nice to just sit around and complain and like type anonymously behind your keyboard instead of actually doing the work because i don't complain about things unless i've done my best to change them first and i do that well, you know, this is an excellent segue, uh, and that may have been it. I don't know, but we 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 um we tend 
I say we, there's no we. I tend to resolve this uh, uh, podcast with, with a message from guests. And if, if you had a message uh, for folks, the millions and millions of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, um, there are no wrong paths to recovery. And I mean, recovery broadly defined. Mm. A lot of time in my advocacy work, I, I see sometimes people trying to really narrowly define or impose their version of, of recovery on others. And if you would have told me not only would I survive addiction, but I would go on to help other people through theirs, save people's lives. And I would do that with my favorite rapper. <laughs> I would just never believe you. Like life contains the most beautiful, unexpected occurrences but only if like we maintain hope and keep marching forward. And that's what I do. Why not maintain hope, keep marching forward, multiple pathways of recovery. Don't stand in people's way. Don't, Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, that's perfect. I, I appreciate you coming by. Yeah. Thanks so and, much. Uh, let's stay in touch. I'll, we'll do. I'll see you on the Twitter block. <laughs>